Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will explore the depth and meaning of the Hebraic Scripture, revealing how Jesus Christ, Yeshua, is the Word of God made flesh. We read in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse is one of the most popular in the New Testament, and it clearly points to Yeshua as the divine Messiah, God in human form who was manifest and revealed to the creation. But what exactly did the Apostle John mean when he said, the Word became flesh? Well, in a general sense, the Word is the Bible. But how does paper and parchment turn into living flesh? I believe there is more for us to understand from this scripture. The rabbis teach us that the Word of God is referred to as the Shekhinah, pronounced Shekhinah in English. The Hebrew word derives from the root Shechen, which means to dwell. Although not actually written in Scripture, the term is used to describe God's manifest glory or His visible presence in the creation. Interestingly, the Hebrew phrase, words of the living God, appears in the plural form, which to me confirms the plurality of God's nature one God revealed in multiple ways. The sages acknowledge that God occupies physical space, and factually, He exists at the center of all He created, and He enables their existence. Rabbi Nehunia ben Hakana said, God is the place of the world. The sages further articulate that the part of the divine sphere that interacts with man is the Shekhinah. This interaction represents God in the lower spheres, which I call the natural realm. We read in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, And he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. The rabbis also refer to the word of God as the breath of his mouth and his malchut, which means his kingship. They say the word of a king, melech in Hebrew, rules. And a king rules his kingdom through his speech, which is his word, which means milah in Hebrew. So therefore we conclude the word of God is his breath and his speech, both of which are tangible and audible, correlating with God's manifest presence, which is his shekhinah, within the creation, and also correlating with his lordship, his malchut, over all creation. These also reveal the plurality of God's nature. So we now understand that the Word of God, the Shekhinah, both dwells, Shochen, and vests itself in created beings, giving them life. And we know the issue is the King who will one day dwell, Shochen, amongst us, communicating and communing as the King of Kings through his speech. He is the one who holds the keys of life in his hand, and he gives life to all men. Yeshua also gives us his peace and his rest, which is called a Sabbath. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, For we who have believed do enter that rest. 
The sages tell us that there are two Sabbaths associated with each week, one being the eternity that existed before the creation, and the other is the elevation of the Son of God to his throne, who is the Sabbath of the Messianic kingdom. We read in John chapter 12, it says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So, therefore, the Shekhinah, who is Christ, is both the Sabbath and the kingship, the Malchut, and the Sabbath is God's presence in the world. In addition, the rabbis refer to the Sabbath as the bride and the lower garden of Eden. God calls Israel his bride. We read in Isaiah chapter 54, For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, he is called the God of the whole earth. And now the church, the ecclesia of God, is the bride of Christ and includes the Gentiles who have been called by his name. The church has not replaced Israel. The nations have been grafted into Israel to become one with the Jewish people and one new man in Christ. Yeshua is the incarnate God who is one with his heavenly Father. And we read in John chapter 10, Yeshua said, I and my Father are one. In Christ, the wall of separation between Israel and the nations has been removed and are now one with each other and one with Christ and our Heavenly Father. Yeshua is our rest and our Sabbath, and we are His. We read in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, My beloved is mine, and I am His. He feeds His flock among the lilies. In Christ, the Church, through the New Covenant, has inherited both the physical presence of God, the Shekhinah, and His written word, spoken to Moses and the prophets, that now dwells within our hearts and our minds. As it says in Jeremiah chapter 31, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. In Jewish understanding, the heart and the mind are the same. Therefore, the fullness of God now lives within us. As Yeshua declared in John chapter 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we, plural, will come to him and make our home with him. God's written word and Yeshua, his living word made flesh, are inseparable. Therefore, Yeshua and the Shekhinah must be one, wholly united within themselves. One does not annul the other, nor did God's word vanish when Yeshua came to the earth. On the contrary, God's written word came to life. Hence, the word became flesh. There is a mysterious correlation between the Shekhinah, the Holy Spirit, and the divine light or the glory of God called the Kavod. They are not necessarily the same, yet all of them signify some form of divine imminence, and both the Shekhinah and the Holy Spirit are commonly associated with prophecy. Our sages tell us that the Shekhinah spoke from the throat of Moses. They believed that Moses was so translucent because of his utmost humility towards God that when he prophesied, he did not just relay God's message, but rather the Shekhinah uttered and spoke directly through his mouth. We also see with the prophets and those possessed of the Holy Spirit that it was the supernal voice and speech of God that vested itself in their actual voice and speech. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 23, it says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, 
and his word was on my tongue. And Paul affirmed this in Acts 28, where we read the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. And we see this happening on the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God communicated his law and instruction, which is called the Torah, through Moses to Israel, revealing his knowledge and wisdom to them. The psalmist declared in Psalm chapter 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If God's law was so perfect, then why could Israel not receive God's salvation through obeying the law? We know from Jeremiah 17, that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. From Isaiah chapter 53, we read, And we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, Yeshua, the iniquity of us all. And Paul said in Romans chapter 3, There is none righteous, no, not one. God has laid our iniquity on Christ. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And God did not just take away our sins, he became our sin. And this was a debt we could never repay. When the Lord spoke through his holy prophets, what did the Shekhinah communicate? Well, the Lord spoke of a mysterious one who was to come and deliver Israel and ultimately all humanity from the curse of the law, the law of sin and death. Israel had brought this curse of the law upon itself because of her iniquity and their fallen, corrupt nature. And we also are incapable of converting our souls through the works of the law. But this mysterious one, the Christ, would reveal God's heart of love and mercy towards humanity, demonstrating his ultimate plan to restore us to the heart of the law itself, the law of love and kindness. We read in John chapter 1, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, there is no problem with God's law. The problem has always resided within us, imperfect and fallen men and women, who were birthed in iniquity. It would take the shed blood of Christ and the breath of God to make us a new creation in him. We read in John chapter 20, it says, And when he, Yeshua, had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The law of Moses, the Torah, came with the curse of the law for those who broke it. And yet in Jewish tradition, the Torah is correlated with the right hand of God, which is his attribute of kindness, his chesed. As we read in Psalm 17, it says, Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. So therefore, the Torah, with its limited priesthood and temporary covering for sin through the shedding of animal blood, was effectively a demonstration of God's grace and mercy towards Israel. Still, we know from Hebrews chapter 7 that the Mosaic Covenant was temporary, as Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. The rabbis have compared the Torah to water. They say just as water descends from a higher level to a lower level, so has the knowledge and wisdom of God been brought down to ours. 
So using this analogy of water with an emphasis added, the rabbis tell us, from there, the heavenly realm, the Torah has journeyed in a descent through hidden stages, stage after stage, in the chain-like order of interconnected spiritual heavenly worlds, until it clothes itself in material matters and things of this corporal world, which comprise nearly all the Torah's commandments and their laws. Until the Torah clothes itself in material matters? Wow! That sounds like the word of God becoming flesh. And Yeshua certainly understood these prophetic teachings of the rabbis when he said in John chapter 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I believe it is an inescapable conclusion that Yeshua is the Torah made flesh, the word of God made flesh. He is the living water, which is the wisdom, knowledge, and most importantly, the heart of God, who has come down to our level and become manifest to us as both his Shekhinah, his divine presence, and his Malchut, his divine kingship. Yes, the words of the Torah have become flesh. Yeshua also referred to himself as the bread of life. Read in John chapter 6. It says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Water is a primary ingredient in making bread. And Yeshua combined these two elements when he said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Yes, the word of the Torah has become flesh. These words from Yeshua affirm that we need both bread and water to survive spiritually. Bread, which is analogous to the written word of God, and water, which is comparable to the Holy Spirit. Combining these gives us the fullness of God's written word, which now comes to life by the revelation and instruction of the Holy Spirit. It also comes to life in the person of Yeshua, who is the fullness of God's written word and his spirit revealed to humanity. Yeshua is both the dwelling and indwelling presence of the Shekhinah. Everything concerning the law and the prophets was and is to be fulfilled in Christ. We read in Luke chapter 24, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 5, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. So therefore all of Scripture points to Christ, who is not only the one who would exclusively fulfill the commandments and the ordinances of the law, but is the one who solely is the embodiment of the law itself. Once again, the words of the Torah became flesh. The rabbis refer to God, the Holy One, blessed be He, as the infinite light, called the En Sof. And the Hebrew word Baruch, blessed, also means to descend and to be revealed. God's greatness can never be fathomed, and no thought can apprehend Him at all. God's will and His wisdom are infinite and unfathomable. We read in Psalm 147, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And in Isaiah chapter 40, we read, His understanding is unsearchable.
So therefore, human thought is incapable of grasping divine thought. So then, how can the rabbi say that in understanding the Torah that man can grasp God's wisdom? Well, they explain that God compressed and lowered his wisdom, clothing it in the physical terms and objects of the Torah and its commandments, so that it might be accessible to human intelligence in order that man may thereby be united with God. The divine light in Scripture signifies revelation out of concealment. In other words, the light, which is truth, that which was previously concealed within the luminary source of the light, is now drawn forth from its source and is revealed as light, which is truth. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Apostle John declared in chapter 1, And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When God's concealed light is in a state of revelation, the rabbis call it an utterance. They also refer to it as the word and the breath of his mouth. So we conclude that divine speech utters and reveals that which was previously concealed. We read in Luke chapter 3, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice, an utterance, came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Paul said and uttered in Ephesians chapter 5, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This descent of God in bodily form is the purpose of the Shekhinah, to reveal to the world the light which is higher than the world. So the Shekhinah was and is a level from which life and vitality are drawn down and revealed to all of God's creation. In other words, God's revelation is for giving life to his created beings. In December, every year, the Jewish people all around the world celebrate Hanukkah, the festival of light. And in Jewish tradition, the festival is as much a celebration and savoring of the darkness as it is of celebrating the light. Rabbi David Seidenberg said, No one sits in front of the menorah thinking, I can't wait for these candles to grow so bright that there's no more darkness. Darkness is the condition that makes the candles beautiful and sweet. Darkness was necessary so that God's light would be revealed. We read in Psalm 97, clouds and darkness surround him. But God's ultimate purpose is not just to show his light, his Shekhinah, but ultimately to entirely dispel the darkness that is in the world, replacing it with his light, who is the resurrected Christ and the word of God made flesh. We read in Revelation chapter 21, and the city, the new Jerusalem, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The holy tongue, the Hebrew of the Torah, was the language used in creation. And so all created things are directly affected by their Hebrew names. It is the Shekhinah that emanates the power of God's speech to utter the words of Torah into the creation. We read again from John chapter 1. It says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And this verse is a direct reference to Christ. The rabbis teach us that the heavens were made by the word of God, and all their hosts by the breath of his mouth. 
In Genesis chapter 2, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So for this reason, the Shekhinah is called our nephesh, our soul and our heart. We can conclude that it was the Shekhinah that divinely spoke creation into existence and breathed life into Adam. If Yeshua, the last Adam, is the Shekhinah of God revealed in human form, then we can also conclude that it is the Shekhinah dwelling within that brings us life. And how does Yeshua bring us life? He does so through his word, which now comes to life in the Holy Spirit that was sent forth from our Heavenly Father. We read in John chapter 14, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And what things will the Holy Spirit teach us and remind us? It will be God's law, as we read again in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And what does God's law look like when it is written on our hearts and minds? Well, it becomes the full manifest expression of love, for God is love. Yeshua said in John chapter 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We can now begin to understand the oneness and unity of God. His written word is not just a narration of his knowledge and wisdom or a casual description of his perfect nature. It brings us life because of the truth it communicates to our hearts and minds. God's word is life and it becomes life for all who drink from it. If God dwells within us but does not speak, then his presence cannot bring revelation, which is truth, to illuminate our minds, and his kingship has no authority over us. Without God's voice, how are we to be renewed in the spirit of our minds? How can God's law and nature be written on our hearts? It cannot. From the moment we accept Yeshua, whose name means salvation, until the time we go to him, our walk with the Lord is a lifelong journey of learning and transformation. In other words, it's a series of countless salvation moments. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Yeshua said in Luke chapter 12, Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The fact that we can presently be with Christ and hear from the one who dwells with and within us should bring us an even greater fullness to our friendship with God. And one day soon Christ, Yeshua, the Shekhinah, our Lord and Savior, and our King will dwell with us for all eternity. At that time, the Shekhinah, who the rabbis associate with the Tabernacle of David, will be restored. We read from Amos chapter 9 and Revelation chapter 21. It says, On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. For behold, the tabernacle, the Shekhinah of God, is with men, and he will dwell, Shochen, with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Amen.
If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.